Welcome to China in Context. I'm Duncan Barker. China and Japan are the two largest economies in Asia. Before the pandemic, bilateral trade between them stood at around $300 billion a year. And the Chinese government claims it wants to encourage more economic cooperation with Japan. This appeals to big Japanese corporations, most of which have significant operations in China. Potentially, the Chinese market is broader and more dynamic, even than the United States. However, China is an increasingly complex environment in which to do business. And Japanese companies can't ignore the political mood in Tokyo, where sentiment is turning more negative towards China, especially over human rights and territorial issues. Well, I'm pleased to welcome to the podcast today, Bill Emmett, an author and chairman of the Japan Society of the United Kingdom. Bill, welcome to China in Context. Very good to be with you. Could you start by giving us an overview of your impression of the current economic relationship between China and Japan? Well, I think I would characterize the China-Japan economic relationship as one of being pretty strong integration that's developed over the last 30, perhaps 40 years. China is Japan's largest export market. Japan is, uh, I think, China's third largest export market. And Japan is one of uh, the biggest investors, foreign direct investors in China. So these two economies are deeply connected. However, I think we need to get that in context. For neither economy, neither China nor Japan, is trade the be-all and end-all of economic life. Whereas in the UK, exports and imports of goods and services account for are equal to more than half of GDP. In Germany, it's even higher, over 60%. For China and Japan, it's around 30%. That's higher than the United States, but big economies like China and Japan are economies where trade matters. Trade is clearly vital, but is not the be-all and end-all of life. And that is the context in which to see the relationship as well. This is not a relationship of interdependency, but it's a relationship of some mutual benefit, particularly for big business in both countries. For China, I think the Japanese investment uh, and Japanese relationship has been particularly important for technology, how to come up with new uh, business ideas. For Japan, China is an expanding huge market on its doorstep at a time when Japanese population is shrinking, when domestic demand in Japan for a long time has been low. So China and Japan are very important to one another, but this is not, repeat not, a relationship of interdependency or of deep dependency one on the other. So there can be a, a modicum of distance uh, between the two politically, even as the economic relationship is, of course, important. Well, thank you for explaining that, Bill. Um, you mentioned the Japanese economy, and I'm sorry to say it's not looking particularly healthy at the moment. We're recording this podcast at the end of 2021, so we don't have data on the final few months of the year. But we do know from figures that came from the Cabinet Office that Japan's gross domestic product contracted at an annualized rate of more than three and a half percent in the third quarter of 2021. Even though inflation soaring in the United States and in Europe, 
it's still at a mere half of 1% in Japan. Now, as you know, Bill, I tend to look on the bright side of things, but it does strike me as though Japan faces a lot of problems. I think that uh, Japan has had a long period of relatively slow economic growth. Um, we talk of two lost decades in the 1990s and the first decade of the 2000s. Since then, Japan has upped its game somewhat, um, uh, but nevertheless, uh, its trend growth rate, um, while being somewhere around third or fourth within the big G7 countries in the past decade, is nothing like it was in the past, and it's not as rapid as in China. So Japan, of course, with its declining population, is never going to be, as it were, a world champion growth economy but it could be doing better than it is, and it's rather underperforming. So I think that we shouldn't see Japan as having new economic problems. We should see Japan as having old economic problems related to the post-financial crash period, related to declining demography, related to especially slow productivity growth. Well, let's think again about China, because this is a podcast about China, Before COVID, Shinzo Abe sent a message to Xi Jinping inviting him to visit Tokyo. That trip was postponed, and I believe that the invitation has now been retracted. Actually, Mr Xi hasn't left China since the start of the pandemic. What do you make of the current diplomatic situation between Japan and China? Well, I think for Japan, the important aim diplomatically has always been to be a bit friendlier with China than the United States is. In other words, Japan follows very closely American policy towards China, but likes to have America being the tough guy um, and uh, being more aggressive, more, uh, if you like, adversarial in some degree. And Japan likes to be a little bit um, more on the diplomatic side of it. So I think Japan's policy towards China has moved towards a tougher, perhaps more negative position in recent years, but less so than that of the United States. Now Japan has a new foreign minister, Yoshimasa Hayashi, who has been involved with the LDP China parliamentary group, is very well connected in Beijing. A lot of people in Tokyo expect him to be some way softer on China. I'm not sure that he will be particularly, but he'll certainly be more diplomatic than uh, has been the the case perhaps in the last uh, five years. So Japan likes to be open to China, but without kowtowing to China and rather likes to shelter behind American toughness. Well, one of the big issues for Foreign Minister Hayashi will be the Olympic Games in Beijing. Um, The current Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida has said that he won't be attending the Beijing Games, which are due to start on February the 4th 2022. I'm not sure if Japan is going to offer the event official diplomatic support, but what about the athletes? What about the sports officials? Where do they stand? Well, I think as things stand at the moment, the sports officials of Japan are intending to participate in the Beijing Winter Olympics. They are officially at least still uh, due to go. Obviously, it's a difficult situation thanks to COVID and thanks to China's own very strict border control. Um, The flip side of President Xi Jinping not having traveled outside of China is that it's currently very difficult to travel into China with very long quarantine periods for 
all categories of visitor. Uh, and I think that may discourage some sporting officials as well as the participants as well. But I think officially they are actually keen to compete. So unless something changes in the next month, I think we can expect there to be probably no diplomatic representation in line with the American position uh, and other Western allies, actually, um, uh, but, uh, but rather quite full um, sporting participation. I've heard some people on the Chinese side say that the Olympics have been politicised and they say that Japan has a responsibility to support China in making the Beijing Games a success because China enthusiastically supported the Tokyo Olympics, which eventually took place in the summer of 2021. What's your take on that? China was positive about the Tokyo Olympics, but uh, President Xi Jinping certainly didn't attend, nor did any uh, member of the senior leadership. Um, the Tokyo Games was conducted in similarly difficult circumstances to the Beijing one in terms of the pandemic. Uh, and so I think that from Beijing's point of view, they will not really expect an enthusiastic support. They would be mortally offended if, uh, if there was a sporting boycott. I think that's absolutely right. But I think given what America has done, they would be frankly astonished if Japan did anything other than what it is doing in terms of diplomatic representation. And spectators, will they be able to travel from Japan to China to support the athletes? I don't think there will be spectators. I think that it's going to be so difficult to get access to uh, China on a reasonable basis, i.e. without a long quarantine. In a circumstance where China is following um, its zero COVID policy, producing citywide lockdowns on the basis of uh, you know, what in international standards is a handful of cases, uh, I don't think we're going to see a, a relaxation of quarantine. And that means that uh, it's really impractical for spectators to go whether or not they are actually encouraged. So I don't think we can expect spectators. I think we can expect television coverage. I think we can expect uh, media coverage. Uh, we can expect full sporting engagement. Well, as you say, Japan's position is complicated and there's probably going to be a diplomatic boycott, but the sports people are likely to attend. Is there a risk, do you think, of Japan being punished by China over the Olympics? And, and the reason I ask this, Bill, is because I've noticed that in recent years, China's used economic measures to punish countries which clash with it politically. The most striking example has been the ban of imports of a range of Australian goods after Australia pressed for an official inquiry into the outbreak of COVID. Do you think the Olympic Games could become another point of contention? I don't think the Olympic Games is likely to be a point of contention between China and Japan. Uh, I think we have seen that willingness, indeed eagerness, to punish other countries um, in uh, Chinese policy, which is not dissimilar to the American use of economic sanctions um, and uh, financial sanctions of all kinds on countries that it, with whom it falls out, um, such as uh, Iran, such as uh, uh, Russia, and so forth. So China is in some ways behaving in an equivalent manner to um, the other superpower in its, in its eyes, but it tends not to do so at the moment with other big countries. It likes to use those economic tools against smaller countries. And I don't see at the moment Japan posing the sort of 
threat in some ways to China um, that would at present justify the use of such economic measures against Japan. I'm not saying that that's impossible in the future, but I don't think over the Olympics, China would be likely to single out Japan uh, for such economic uh, countermeasures. Um, but you know, something could crop up, more likely something in East China Sea has happened when uh, there have been uh, clashes between, uh, between ships there. And some years ago, when a, when a Chinese captain was arrested um, by the Japanese, there was some retaliation by China over exports of rare earths, always denied that it was really being done, but actually that was a piece of economic tradecraft against Japan. So I, it, it can be used against a big economy like Japan, but I don't think the Olympics is likely to be the reason for it. Japan has been pretty moderate in its behavior towards China over, for example, issues like Hong Kong issues of uh, civil liberties and human rights in Hong Kong, where the UK, some European countries, the United States have been much more outspoken, have imposed sanctions often on officials, um, have spoken out very strongly in condemning China and Hong Kong. Japan has been notably silent on these issues, and that will not go unnoticed in Beijing. I think, as it were, in the range of, of, of Western counterparts to China, Japan is currently at the more favorable end, funnily enough. It certainly won't always stay there, but at the moment, I don't see um, there being, if you like, an element of provocation that would bring about Chinese retaliation. Bill, thank you very much for your thoughtful analysis of these important issues. And I hope that you'll join us again soon to talk to us about Japan, China, and East Asia. That's the author, Bill Emmett, chairman of the Japan Society of the UK. This podcast is produced by the SOAS China Institute, part of the University of London, and you can find out more about our courses and research at soas.ac.uk. But for now, that's all from us here at the China in Context podcast team.